Welcome to Thrive at Work, a podcast which offers insights and latest employment trends to help employers attract, retain and develop great people with me, Polly Rathbone-Ward. With special guests, we're going to be discussing the many and varied aspects of HR, from practical topics to overarching cultural themes. We'll be looking beyond traditional styles of management to bring new and people-centred ideas to forward-thinking organisations that want to shape a new future where people can thrive at work. Hello and welcome to Thrive at Work. Today's discussion focuses on the important topic of rewarding and recognising employees, particularly as many are currently struggling with increased living costs. Companies which have the most engaged and high-performing employees consider the diversity of their workforce and what they really value when developing their reward package. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Andrea Ray, founder of Inspiring Reward, a business which helps employers develop reward strategies to ensure they attract and retain great people. So welcome, Andrea. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you so much for um, inviting me on your podcast, Polly. Um, I wonder if we might start, if you don't mind, by talking me through your background. And I know you've set up your own your own company now. So if you wouldn't mind talking us through your background and how all that's come about. Absolutely. Um, so I have um, over 20 years experience in the area of HR systems and reward. So my background's quite this technical side of human resources. Um, I actually uh, interestingly started out my career in consulting, so I've kind of come full circle to now set up my own consulting business. But I um, worked for Oracle as a consultant, and um, I was implementing solutions for customers from all different types of industries, um, initially in what we called business intelligence and data warehousing, which is sort of reporting and analytics for the average person. And then I focused on their um, HRMS platform, so the HR software. Uh, that Oracle had. I then moved from Oracle to work for DHL Supply Chain, which is the largest logistics company in the world. And I was initially the head of HR systems for their UK business before moving into a people analytics role for Europe, Middle East, Africa, and then into compensation and benefits. Um, And I did roles there again for the EMEA region and then in a global position, looking at uh, consistent global policy process and solutions around the reward. Um, so, yes, I've now kind of come full circle back to consulting again, and I've set up my own consulting business called Inspiring Reward. Um, it's, uh, I, I set it up for, I guess, for both a personal and professional reason. Um, for a personal reason, I wanted to have a, a bit more flexibility in um, the work that I do and how I fit that around my home life and my family and my, my personal interests. Um, but uh, professionally, also, I just really like consultancy. Um, it's something I really love doing. I'm very much a, a project-based person, so I love to you know, work with business leaders in really understanding their business and coming up with solutions for them and implementing those rather than a more kind of operational conversation of benefits role. But, yeah. um, if you, would you like to tell me a bit more about the business and what I do? Carry on. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so in terms of um, inspiring reward itself, um, reward is quite a broad topic. There's lots of different elements to reward. Um, and I can offer support and services in most of those areas. 
Um, some of the more um, specific ones, if I don't know, then I have um, yeah, associates that I could work with to support in those areas. Um, but there are four main areas that I particularly like to focus on with clients because I feel my skills and experience adds the most in those. Um, so the first is um, working with businesses to develop a total reward strategy. So really thinking about what kind of employer they want to be, what do they want to offer around reward, what's the best solution for them in the, the industry and the market that they are in. Um, the second area is technology solutions and process improvement. Obviously, I have a strong background in, in technology, but that could be anything from running a large RFP process to finding new benefits provider and platform or other type of, of technology through to just coming up with some really great Excel spreadsheet solutions. So Excel is something that is used a huge amount in reward, but it can, you can have some really great dashboards. It doesn't have to be some, some boring looking financial spreadsheet. Um, from a process improvement point of view, um, it's really important to have efficient and effective reward processes and make sure they're de-risked and that they're subject to audit. So it's something else that I can support clients with. Um, the third area I like to focus on is people analytics. Again, obviously have a strong background in that area. It's something I'm very passionate about, but it's so important for reward. You've really got to understand the data about pay benefits employees in your organization to then work through what's the best solution for that organization from a reward point of view. Um, and then finally, probably the area that I'm most passionate about is um, communications and engagement. Because what I often find is that an organization could have you know, quite good reward solutions or, or benefits products in place. Um, but if, if employees don't understand them or know about them, then they're not actually going to be achieving anything that you want to achieve with them. Or even worse, if they misunderstand them, particularly if employees have misunderstandings around pay, for example, then that can cause quite a negative impact. So I really like to look at communications and engagement in relation to reward. Great. Yeah, just picking up on that last one, I've, I've definitely come across that where people are unsure about the benefits, don't quite know what they give a person and don't really know how to access them either. So what is your advice? Just jumping straight in on that one, because um, that resonated with me. What would your advice be around um, around comms in that area, around implementing benefits, but also continuing to um, communicate about them so that people are people know how to access them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the things with benefits is that organisations often only talk about them once a year. Mm. You know, if you have an open enrolment, for example, or you know, there's just one time in the year when people go and do some kind of elections, and then they forget to talk about the benefits for the rest of the year. So, you know, given that, that a core part of any part of a reward package is, you know, attracting, retaining motivating employees you're not going to be achieving any of those things if people aren't aware of what you actually offer in the first place or indeed just how, how to use it so in terms of implementing a new benefit um, I would recommend doing um, a, a short communications campaign around that so um, firstly about you know what's the benefit of that benefit to the employee and maybe link that through to your organization's culture or EVP. So, so say, for example, if something that's really important to the organization is well-being and supporting employee well-being, and you're introducing a benefit that links into that, maybe a new um, employee assistance program provider. 
and then really link it into that and have that as part of the communications campaign, you know, that we really care about your well-being, this is what we're doing, and look at this great new benefit that's here to support you. Um, and, and I would say also try and do the communications in multiple formats, and that will be driven a bit by you know, where your employees are based, obviously. But it's good to have you know, written communications, either electronic or printed, but also videos or webcasts that bring things to life. And if you actually have employees in a physical work location together, you can often ask the benefits provider to come on site to talk about it and explain it a bit more. Um, and of course, the other side of that, like you said, is explaining you know, how to access the benefit. Oh. Um, so it's not just this is what it is and here's the benefit for you, but this is how you can actually then use it. And what then, of course, is that the other side of that, now, which is really important for businesses, is ongoing regular communications about benefits. Um, and there's there's a few things that you can do there. So again, one is uh, linking it through into other elements of your EVP. So again, going back to well-being. Um, if you, you know, if well-being is something that's important to the organization to engage with employees on, then do a, a sort of communications plan. For the, for the year even, saying at what points you want to talk about specific elements of well-being and then which of the benefits that you offer can support with that, whether it's financial well-being or mental health, or physical health. So to constantly remind people as part of other communications. Um, another thing to think about is maybe linking, um, talking about benefits to specific um, dates or events in the year, like sort of awareness dates um, throughout the year on, on things like mental health, for example, to link it to that, or, or if you're introducing a new policy, I mean, a lot of organisations are looking at policies and support around reproductive health at the moment, be that things like menopause or fertility or pregnancy loss. And if you're launching something like that, again, mention the benefits that support, again, your, your EAP providers and employee assistance, or maybe your medical insurance or health cash plans also have support in place, so, so to mention it for those. And the only other thing I would say also then on communications around benefits is it's it's good to try and make it as accessible as possible for employees through some kind of technology solution. And that could just be a simple like hub on your intranet, if you've got an intranet, where you put everything to do with reward and benefits and you could make it look pretty or branded or there's something that that is somewhere that employees go to regularly that you can engage them with. Oh. Um, I mean, there are you know, there are really great technology solutions in the market. Some will cost a little bit more, but you know, if you have any kind of online benefits platforms, a lot of them come with communications tools within them. So you've got that combination of sort of really functionality-rich online hub plus email communications, and it's just then you know, continually reminding in a sort of targeted way rather than constantly irritating your employees. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a really good idea to have some sort of hub where everything is uh, all together. I've also seen um, uh, like pop pop-ups on the front page of the internet for um, intranet, for example. So if people are regularly checking their intranet, or it pops up when people yeah. log on in the morning, I've seen that sort of uh, communication come up because it's in a place where people regularly visit or go, but it, it may not be directly you know some something that that person needs immediately but it's just that reminder isn't it Absolutely. I've also seen it linked to pay slips um because that's something that goes out regularly people generally have a look at their pay slip um in the old days where they used to have paper pay slips I know it's an awful lot now it's electronic but um I used to see little messages on the bottom of pay slips you know don't forget this or that or you know just quick reminders that 
um, a certain thing is available for people. Um, you mentioned there a couple of times EVP. So you're talking about the employee value proposition. Um, so this is uh, what I think as the sort of total package of what's available to an employee should they come and work with you. Is that is that what you would des- describe it as? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I'm um, talking to businesses about developing their reward strategy, um, we look at a few things. So you know, any developing any reward strategy obviously needs to start with the business strategy. So what's the, the business strategy, their objectives, their aims, and how can the reward strategy support that? And likewise, the HR strategy, if there's one in place, you know, the reward strategy needs to link through to that. Um, you need to look then, of course, at the, the industry that the organisation is in and the type of jobs in that organisation, because, you know, reward for um, an organisation of primarily operational roles in production or manufacturing is going to look very different to an organisation with like management of professional roles in financial services. Um, but ultimately, um, reward is most, a reward strategy is mostly aiming to attract, retain and motivate staff. Um, and when I look at reward strategy with um, clients and businesses, I really encourage them to look at it as a total reward strategy. And by total reward, what you're looking at is all the different elements of a reward package or offering the tangible and intangible, the financial and the non-financial. So that includes, of course, your financial reward package. So that's a combination of things like base pay, bonus schemes, allowances, commission schemes. It's also your employee benefits of all the various different guises that employee benefits come in. Um, it's your recognition program, whatever you have in place for recognition um, tools and, and how you recognize employees. Um, it includes things like um, learning and development. So what learning and training solutions you have in place and how you support talent management and career development and, and developing people professionally and personally. And then finally, it also includes what I, I call the work environment. So what kind of workplace is this to like to work for? I mean, it's you know, it's kind of the organisation culture, but it's a bit more than that because it's the, the kind of leadership style and management style, what kind of flexibility you have, uh, work-life balance, location, um, and, and what employee voice is there, so how much can employees sort of you know, feed into the organisation through things like surveys. So you know, when, when I say total reward, it really is all those different elements. Um, and it's really important for organisations to look at all those different elements of reward um, because employees increasingly are doing that themselves. So okay. it's, it's no longer just a, you know, I want to make sure that I'm paid well for doing the work that I'm doing. Employees want far more than that, um, particularly you know, in the last couple of years following the pandemic. Absolutely. Great. So it's kind of putting the employer more in control and you enable businesses presumably to look at each of those categories and then sort of see where they're at and then, you know, make improvements, make changes uh, for the better so that they are in a better place to attract and retain people. Exactly. Great, great. Excellent. So you touched there on recognition, which is an interesting thing because it's it's a bit more intangible isn't it than uh, you think about reward and you think about pay and benefits and bonuses and commission and things but um tell me more about recognition and how that plays into this and what are the best practices around around that 
So I, I personally think recognition is one of the most important parts of a reward package and can have the most impact, but it's often overlooked. Mm. Um, so with financial reward, there's only so much that you can do to motivate and engage. Mm. Whereas with recognition, there is a really powerful link to how engaged someone feels in an organization, how fulfilled they are, and therefore their, their performance and productivity. Um, in fact, I have I have quote for you from Gartner, um, who did a survey in 2020, and they found that employees who received at least one type of recognition showed on average 8% greater performance. And also the Great Place to Work survey you might be familiar with, and they looked at their survey results over the last couple of years, and they found that when people were consistently recognised at work, then they gave more positive responses to most of the questions in the survey. And I mean, there's been quite a lot of research done over the impact of um, recognition. So, you know, managers and peers regularly and meaningfully giving appreciation to people for things that they've done, efforts they put in, you know, achievements they've made. And, and the thing is with recognition is it doesn't actually have to cost a lot to, to do well in an organisation. So there's a lot of um, informal ways that you can do recognition from simply thanking somebody for doing something. Um, or doing shout outs at a team meeting, maybe start every team meeting by you know, doing a bit of a round robin of some great things that you know, managers have seen their team doing um, that week, or shout outs in the company newsletter, the great things that people have done. Um, maybe if uh, the team are getting together in a physical workspace, bringing in cakes to celebrate successes, or, or managers can even you know, give time off rather than actually something cash-based to say, you know, that's Thank you so much for supporting me with that piece of work. So there's a lot that you can do that doesn't have to cost much. Um, I mean, there are more formal recognition programs available. Again, there's lots of technology platforms that support this these days um, where they're often um, set up so that you're giving points to employees rather than cash. And then the employees can build up those points to buy themselves a gift or an experience. Okay. Um, and, but I think the important thing is, whether it's formal or informal, it's about it's only going to be successful if you build a culture of recognition in the organisation. And that, that's really where you'll see that increased engagement. And a really important part of that is um, supporting and educating line managers. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, the line managers are the ones who, in the main, are giving the recognition, who are appreciating either their team members or other team members in, in other teams. And they then need to be really living and breathing that culture of recognition and doing it regularly, meaningfully, and knowing what tools they have available. So mm -hmm. if, if they're doing that, that's when we start to see the impact of recognition in an organisation. Yeah, brilliant. You've given some great ideas just there. What what occurred to me, though, was that does it depend on the type of person that you're wanting to recognise or celebrate? Because a shout out in a public team meeting in a public space might be the worst thing in the world for someone, but someone else might absolutely love it, you know, and be really motivated by that. So what advice would you give around around that? I think um, there's been some research on this, and I'm going to forget who did it now, but they came up with the five languages of workplace appreciation. Oh, and yeah. it looks exactly at that um, of, you know, think about what kind of appreciation team members is, would like for them what's best for them and as a manager you just you do need to then get to know your employees okay. as to what kind of things work best for them um you know it, is it that kind of shout out or is it um you know something more giving, giving a gift or would they appreciate just being given some time off some time to spend on a passion project 
Um, you know, it, it really does, like, it really does depend on the individual person. So I think, again, that's probably an important part of supporting managers mm. is to give them options, but to encourage them to really understand their team members to see what's you know, going to work best for them. Yeah, great. I agree. Absolutely. Um, so there's been a lot of talk recently about, I mean, you mentioned well-being earlier, but um, I'm reading more and more about financial well-being and how employers could potentially um, consider that as well as part of their benefits and overall well-being sort of uh, package that they offer for staff. Um, t- tell, tell us more about um, f- sort of financial well-being incentives and how that can support people, particularly, I guess, in the current climate. Oh, you're absolutely right, Polly. There's, this is uh, an area of a huge focus now, financial well-being. I, I, it sort of started becoming a bit of terminology a couple of years ago, and now it's talked about a huge amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is exactly, as you say, because of the situation we're in at the moment. You know, we have the cost of living crisis. There's huge increases in fuel, energy bills, and employers simply can't raise salaries to meet that level of inflation, you know, it's not affordable. There's, there's all sorts of reasons why wages are not linked to inflation necessarily. But, you know, employers want to be able to support employees. They absolutely good employers are hearing the pressure on their employees. And financial well-being is um, an excellent way of supporting more. Um, and, and it can also really differentiate you as an employer as well. You know, if you're doing this really well compared to another employer. I mean, financial well-being is essentially a combination of employee benefits that um, support employees' personal financial situations um, with um, communication education around financial management. Um, So that could be um, giving advice on things like basic budgeting or debt management um, or retirement saving planning. Um, So there's a lot of... um, focus on this area of, sort of financial education at the moment and there's some organizations that are quite niche and really they offer good solutions in this area the one called nudge which is, has come up quite a bit recently but actually you don't have to necessarily go out and, and buy something off the shelf to run an education program you'll probably find that your pension provider has a lot of free material that they'll be happy to share um, or webinars that they do a lot of the bigger pension providers have webinar series that you can share with employees um, so, you know, it doesn't have to cost a lot to put in place some good financial education for employees. It's more about, you know, thinking about the employees that you have, what kind of needs might they have, what might they want to focus in on, um, and then developing a program to support that. In terms of um, benefits in the area of financial well-being, pension is an obvious one. Um, and obviously most organisations provide some kind of pension scheme. Um, but again, it's really important to engage people in that, and particularly at the moment, because I feel that you know, people will start to pull away from pension schemes if they've got issues with day-to-day costs and they want to manage you know, money for their day-to-day costs. And it's really important to continue with that education around pensions and the importance of saving for the long term. I hadn't thought about that. Of course, there is an option to opt out of um, Absolutely. And particularly younger people, I feel they find it harder to engage with the thought of a pension for, you know, 40, 50 years time mm. um, and, and think, well, I need the money for now. So that, that education side is so important around pensions. Um, yeah. I mean, another couple of areas of benefits that are really great in financial well-being are salary sacrifice programs. Mm-hmm. So um, pensions can be set up as salary sacrifice 
But there's also um, other things where uh, employees can purchase an item through salary sacrifice. The most common one you find is cycle to work. So obviously there you're purchasing a bike and bike equipment to, to cycle to the workplace. Um, but also um, you can, a lot of uh, providers now have things like technology. So you know, iPads, phones, computers, that kind of thing, or white goods like um, washing machines. So big expensive items, as well as cars. So electric cars is becoming very popular as a salary sacrifice option. And it basically works by giving the employee the tax and national insurance saving. Um, so it, it's another thing that obviously there needs to be some education around and also a little bit of thought because you need to be careful about people near minimum wage. But for many employees, it can be of real financial benefit that they'll be then spending less on those items than if they bought them themselves. Um, and then another one um, which might be worth thinking about, particularly if you have um, employees on lower incomes, is early wage access. So that's something that quite a few payrolls offer now and also some specialist companies like WageStream. And that's where the employee can access their wages earlier in the month. Uh, and that helps them deal with one-off unexpected things like you know, the boiler breaking down, for example. Because if, you, if you're you know, living on a very limited income and you're struggling with budgeting, um, then you know something like the boiler breaking, you might need to take out some high-cost loan to pay for that. So something like early wage access can mitigate against that. And then the other, the other area, which again doesn't have to cost a lot to implement, is shopping discounts. And this one's very popular with a lot of organisations. But it's also another one which really needs regular communications campaigns because employees often forget it exists. And yet, you know, these shopping discount schemes, there's many of them, that they'll offer discounts at a huge range of shops, including supermarkets. So your employees could be getting maybe 5, 10, 15% off their weekly food shopping. But if they don't remember they've got it, or if it's done in a rather sort of clunky technology platform where they have to print off a voucher, some of the old schemes used to be, then you know they won't necessarily think to use it. So it is worth looking at how employees can access the shopping discount scheme, making it as easy as possible and reminding them regularly so that they know that you're thinking about their financial well-being. Mm, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Loads of great ideas there. Um, yeah, brilliant. So you talked just before about, you know, rising um, living costs, the cost of living crisis. Um, it's been interesting to sort of observe the reaction, you know, from employers around this. Um, you know, people are struggling. Equally, employers are struggling to recruit. Um, there, are, there are so many job vacancies being advertised. Um, and employers do need to do something a bit different in order to, you know, make themselves attractive as, as a place to work. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard for them to attract, um, you know, people to come into their organisation. So tell us more about what you're seeing and what sort of best practices you're, you're seeing and you would advise. Yeah, I, I would say the last year has been one of the most challenging for reward professionals when it's come to set the annual merit budget. Um, you know, because the inflation rate is so much higher than we've seen in so many years. Um, and, you know, all the noise in the press is, well, wages aren't keeping up and employers need to pay more and cost of living crisis, we need you supporting employees. The thing is, is that, you know, when it comes to setting salary budgets, um, it's not typically linked to inflation, particularly not in, in countries like the UK and the US, where we generally have quite low and fairly stable inflation rates. You'll tend to see a bit of a lag as well. So, you know, where there is an increase in inflation, you might then see an increase in salary budgets a year or two later. But it's rarely in that year because what, what 
employers generally do is they'll start thinking about their salary budget a good nine months before they actually do their pay reviews. And they'll look at the market, they'll look at what other employers are doing, they'll look at the cost of labour, because that's ultimately what's driving the salary budget rather than inflation. Um, the other thing is inflation is quite a short-term measure, whereas obviously the salary budget is a long-term investment for the organisation. Um, and, and it's simply not affordable for many organisations to put through you know, 6 7 8% increases to their salary budget. So that's, that's why we're not seeing um, you know, pay increases as high in inflation. And I think we have seen higher than usual. Uh, typically, the annual merit budget has been around 2 to 3% median for the last few years. And it has gone up a bit. So where you know the, the survey providers who do a lot of the work around salary surveys have, have gone back and done some sort of little polls with organisations in the last couple of months, they have seen the median salary increases go up a little bit. Um, but not across all sectors, not across all industries. And, and again, it varies massively by what organisations can afford. Um, so I think it's, it's a really difficult one for organisations because they simply can't increase the salary budgets. And then when it comes to recruitment, like you say, we've seen headlines of some you know, eye-wateringly high salaries being offered at the point of recruitment because some organisations are sort of trying to outbid for the talent. But I think there's a couple of issues with that. One is, well, it's obviously not all organisations. So not all organisations can afford to do that. So I think it's a little bit of a bubble where you know, the, the organisations that have the most cash and in, certainly in some sectors like IT, you know, this, is, this is a short term um, situation that's, that's happening with some organisations. But those organisations that are doing this are creating themselves some pay equity issues long term. Because if they are recruiting at the moment at a much higher salary than what they're paying their existing employees, and at some point they're going to need to go back and address that. So I think because of things like that, it's, it's quite a short-term phenomenon. But in the short term, of course, it does leave a conundrum for organisations who can't or don't want to offer those really high salaries. And that's where you need to then go back to look at total reward to try and differentiate yourself in the market. Um, and you know, there's, there's quite a few things that you can do that you've got to think about you know, what do I offer as an employer that makes me stand out compared to another employer? Why should someone want to come and work for this organisation compared to the other one? And it might be that you're in a sector, and IT is a good example, where there's some really big players that are offering really high salaries. But maybe if you're a small organisation, you could offer more flexibility. You could offer more work-life balance. You could offer a completely different organisation culture. Um, you know, maybe you offer far more around supporting well-being. Uh, you know, ultimately, people who work for you may be working an average working week rather than a 60-hour working week. So it, it's trying to get those kind of messages out around why, you know, why people should work for you that's not necessarily linked to you know, the, the financial amount that you're paying. And, and a lot of it does come back to what we just talked about around financial well-being, because, you know, for the, the employees who do work for you at the moment, again, if you can't afford to increase the salary levels a great deal beyond an average salary budget, then what can you do else to support their financial well-being during the cost of living crisis? And again, reminding people you know, why, why they should work for you, why it's a great place to work, um, you know, what other benefits, what other elements of total reward you know, are, are there in place to support them as employees to sort of encourage them to stay and not go chasing those um, those hopefully short-term large salaries that are being advertised. 
Mm. It's a really good point you make that inflation is a short term measure, but salary is obviously a long term. So looking at, you know, how else you can boost that total package rather than um, committing to long term salary increases, um, you know, it's great benefit to the employer as well. Um, yeah, really interesting. I've noticed that um, employers responses tend to be, well, let's put the, let's put the salary up as far as we can go but of course it's not it's not sustainable it's not possible for a lot of employers um but I meant to say earlier actually when you were talking about the whole looking at the whole package and you were including well-being and learning and development in that um I work with a business and they offer a, a, a very small benefit to employ uh, to employees but I think it's really lovely it's um for training and development they can order a book um once a month and they have a, bud- a small budget for that. And it's got to be to do with personal and professional development. So it, it can't just be any random book. And it does get approved as well. But I just think that's so nice. I spend loads of money on, <laughs> on books. <laughs> and I think that's a really nice benefit that will benefit the employer and the employee. And it's not doesn't cost the earth. But I just think that's really nice. So it's you, a- can actually, you can get really creative with these things. And I've seen something else that's, that's becoming really popular is a well-being allowance. So you provision a certain allowance to employees for them to spend on their well-being. And, you know, you can put some guidance around what that means, but ultimately it's for the employee to decide what's good for their personal well-being. That's a good one, because, of course, people need different things depending on, you know, how, how they are and what works for them. So a yoga class might be great for some people, but some people might hate it. But that gives yeah. them, <laughs> that gives them the control like, over the choice, I suppose. That's great. That's a really good idea. Um, how else are employers um, supporting employees during this really difficult, um, difficult time? Um, I think well-being is the biggest one. Um, I, you know, that this, we mentioned financial well-being um, as something that's had a lot of focus in the last couple of years. But well-being as a topic, obviously, had a huge focus during the pandemic and is something employees started focusing on then but have continued to build on. Um, so I think a lot of employees now see well-being as a really core part of the total reward strategy Um, and you know looking at all different elements of well-being you know um, physical health mental health financial health and so on it's it's become a a really important part of how employers are supporting employees brilliant thank you and you also mentioned just going back um just before you mentioned about um you know employers not being able to um um put salaries up at the same level as, as inflation because they're just not able to do you know what the average pay increase is at the moment or in you know in the last year is that is that a statistic that we know <laughs> that's published or um, so the, the pay budgets um i would say around um the beginning of the year, most of the salary survey providers were saying that the median pay increase had gone up to 3%. Okay. Um, and then I think in most recent surveys, they've seen it going up a little bit more than that. Mm. Um, so probably nearer to sort of 3.5%. Mm, great. Thank you. It's interesting. Great. Um, if there are employers out there who might be thinking, um, we need to do something about this. I'm not really quite sure how to start. What might be some practical steps that you might advise for them to just get started or some things for them to think about? Um, I think um, 
the first thing to do is to um, you know, work with your HR team on looking at what you think the current challenges and opportunities are. Mm. Um, you, know, you could do some kind of SWOT analysis. I would really encourage organisations to look at their data, whatever data they have available, um, to see what the data is telling them. So you know, look at the recruitment data. What's the time to recruit? Um, you know, what, what, what success are we having advertising in certain you know, different types of, of, of job advert? Um, look at turnover data. You know, is there a, you know, drill it down to see where you've got high levels of turnover, which types of departments or types of jobs. Look at exit interviews. What kind of feedback are people saying when they leave the organisation? Look at absence rates and, and productivity rates. And in particular, if possible, look at survey data. So if you do some kind of employee survey, um, or if you don't do one, maybe introduce one um, or some kind of pulse check to get a feel for how employees are feeling on a particular topic in relation to the total reward and use that data then see to tell a story so tell me where the challenges and opportunities are in reward um, I would say from a benefits point of view it's always useful if you already have benefits packages to look at statistics around those as well so look at the uptake rates look at the usage rates um, for, for slightly larger organisations, you can get your benefits providers to provide you with anonymised data around usage so you can see what kind of calls are coming into the employee assistance programme. What is it that people are having issues with if you want to do better wellbeing support? Um, your medical provider might flag up that there's a, a lot of issues around mental health or musculoskeletal health from everyone sitting incorrectly at home, for mm. example. So there's a lot of data there around the benefits. Um, and, and again, I would recommend doing a, a you know, if you really want to review the well-being and benefits side, is do, do a survey. So see what employees actually would like, what's best for them. Because you know, an, another big trend in, in the well-being and benefits space is um, DEI, so diversity, equity, inclusion. So looking at benefits from a more personal level rather than a sort of you know one-stop holistic thing that suits you know, it's trying to help everybody. Um, because you know, employees increasingly want something that's good for them, you know, and, and what's good for somebody who's 21 and starting out in, in a job now would be very different to somebody who's near retirement in terms of what value they get from, from benefits and wellbeing initiatives. And, and from a, a pay point of view, um, I mean, one of the things that um, you know, organisations really need to do to, to get pay right, because I think that's a critical thing with pay, is, is pay only works to a certain extent in terms of um, motivating and satisfying employees. Um, and the, the main thing with pay is to get it right because it can be a big um, dissatisfier. So it could be something that you know, won't necessarily motivate to do more, but it will certainly dissatisfy if an employee feels that they are underpaid or maybe they feel they're underpaid compared to a colleague doing a similar role or that they just simply don't understand how pay decisions are made. It's some kind of secret thing that happens behind the scenes. And, and you know, that, that demotivation could, of course, then lead to the person you know, getting dissatisfied and leaving the organisation. So the really critical thing with pay is to make sure you've got solid pay structures in place. Um, and you know, this is something that, that you know, an HR may be able to help with if it's a small organisation or if it's, it's more complicated than a reward consultant like myself. But you're ultimately looking to have um, a structure. It's often based on something like job evaluation or ranking, but, but structures that have then ranges for jobs so that you're clear on how you set pay for different roles, how they benchmark against the external market, 
where you want to position yourself against the external market and how employees can progress through those pay ranges, which should be down to a variety of factors and driven by your strategy and philosophy on this. And to, to avoid that sort of dissatisfaction from employees, there needs to be some level of transparency around it as well. And that doesn't necessarily mean you know, advertising the pay ranges or putting them on the company notice board or telling everyone what everyone's paid. But it's about just explaining to employees how you set pay structures, how they're created, and how they can progress their pay. So what influences those pay decisions? So that they know, for example, if they perform at a certain level, they'll get a higher level of increase. Um, or you know, if they achieve a certain skill or qualification, then that will increase their pay to X amount more, for example. I think that makes complete sense, you know, to have a, a well thought through structure that's based on, uh, you know, facts and information that you've found out around the market rather than figures plucked out of the air, you know, because otherwise people might think, well, how, how have you arrived at this at this figure? And I think it would assure, reassure people and give them confidence that actually, you know, new people coming in will be on the, you know, uh, um, will be subject to the same framework and so um and everyone's being treated the same I guess it's consistency so on that subject I guess you know I've heard of businesses worrying around um you know they're having to increase their salaries to attract people and recruit people in and then what happens to the existing uh team members who might perhaps be on a a lower rate have you I'm sure you've come across that Andrea what's been your advice around that well, this is something organisations really do need to think about and plan for um, because, you know, exactly that will happen, that you've uh, you recruited in people at a much higher level. At some point, you really do need to go back and address that. So there needs to be some plan in place as to how you're going to move the other employee salaries up. And also, again, make sure you're clear around what other things that impact on pay progression, you know, because if it's linked to particular levels of skills and experience, then it's okay that people are paid different rates for you know, doing the same role. You could have recruited someone in who had significantly more skill and experience. It's okay to pay a premium for that. But you've got to be clear that that is your approach and your policy and be able to you know, defend that if, if you're challenged around that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know, if, if there isn't that differential, if you literally just paid more for someone new coming in because that's the market today and they're no different in their skill and experience to the other people, then you really do need to have a plan in place as to how you're going to progress uh, the pay for you know, the existing team and be able to communicate that well. Um, yeah, because it's always nice to receive a pay increase. But again, you don't want to think that something secret is going on behind the scenes. You, know, you don't want any suspicion to creep in as to why you've suddenly been given a 5% pay increase. Mm. And I, I liked your point around as well about, you know, informing people not of all the detail, but, you know, that there is a well thought through structure that, you know, and this is how we arrive at our pay levels, but also how you can then achieve higher. So, you know, what's expected of you to then move up or whatever it is because I think then that helps with retention doesn't it people can see that there's a future with you they won't always be stuck at the same level and there's no sort of way forward but they can see you know they can see there's a way ahead and why would they move if they can see that they're going to be developed um, progressed um, you know it helps with their retention presumably exactly Great, thank you so much. Um, we are coming towards the end of our time. I just wondered, Andrea, if you had any final points that um, you might want to raise that we hadn't already talked about. 
Yes, the, the only thing I would say is, um, you know, I, I think it's been an incredibly challenging couple of years um, for HR generally, but, but particularly for in the area of reward. Um, you know, so many new challenges thrown at everybody in the last two years that we haven't had to deal with um, either before or for a long time. But I personally think it's a real time of opportunity for a reward because for the first time that you know, I can remember, reward has been talked about. And it's been talked about at the top table by senior management teams. Um, and that's really, really important because um, yeah, companies have got to look at their reward strategy. You know, there's a kind of need to it and there's a benefit to it. So you need to do it because your competitors will be doing it and because you won't be able to you know, recruit if you don't have a good differentiator, as we just talked about, uh, and because your employees are demanding more, you know, that they're not just wanting a decent pay packet, they're, they're wanting, you know, benefits that suit their own personal needs, they're wanting, you know, an organisation culture that they can fit in with, they, um, you know, want well-being, support and work-life balance. So these are all things that mean an organisation really needs to look at their total reward strategy uh, and how they're going to address that to retain people and, and to attract people in. But it also has real business benefits. I mean, there's real, you know, financial tangible benefits. So, you know, if your if your pay structures are well designed and communicated, then you're removing the risk of equal pay claims or people leaving the business because they're dissatisfied. Um, if you have a really strong culture of recognition, um, where you know managers are regularly and meaningfully recognizing people, that's going to increase engagement and ultimately performance and productivity. Um, if you've got um, employee benefits uh, that employees value, then it shows to them that you care about them, you want to support them, you want to support their financial well-being. And again, that means they'll be engaged and want to stay with the organisation so you don't get that cost of attrition. Okay, so ultimately, it really is a time of opportunity to look at the reward strategy, come up with a really strong total strategy suited to the organisation so that you can then attract, uh, retain and engage employees. Brilliant. Yeah. And just one final question, actually. Um, benefits, obviously, you have to look at your, the demographic of your staff and what's going to be valuable to your staff through surveys and finding out, um, you know, what they would really value. I just wondered, putting on the spot a bit, but is there such a thing as a most popular benefit? Do you know if there's a, um, a particular benefit that, you know, many, many organisations will go for? <laughs> well, I think the one that's probably had the well, one, one of the trends that has been really strong in the last two years is actually going back to the insurance benefits, which have been around for years, but they always were a very status-based benefit. So, you know, something like um, life insurance, critical illness cover, or private medical insurance was something often historically offered to senior managers and nobody else, the sort of status benefit. What has been a big trend in a lot of organisations is now offering those to the entire workforce. Um, and that has been hugely popular because, you know, people, because of the pandemic, people are really thinking about things like life insurance and critical illness cover and how they can protect their loved ones if the worst should happen. Mm. But also, um, you know, the National Health Service is really struggling. Um, and where, where employees can provide either private medical insurance or a health cash plan to help support with, you know, cost and provision of medical um, you know, coverage, then that's been seen as really, really valuable. Um, and actually probably is even more valued by people on lower incomes than the people at senior manager level who used to get it as a status benefit. Yeah. yeah. I would say those those insurance benefits are probably 
you have one of the biggest uptake recently. Yeah, yeah, I can believe that. I've noticed that as well. Great. Thank you, Andrea. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, how do they, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, so you can contact me on my email address, which is andrea at inspiringreward.co.uk. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, just search Andrea Ray, R-A-E. <laughs> or you can have a look on my website, which is www.inspiringreward.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time today, Andrea. It's been a really good conversation and a fascinating and very hot topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Polly. Thank you.